You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Today we present our complete Brewer's Guide to Phyrexia All Will Be One, with a look at every card that's fit to brew in modern. What new horrors does a mother of machines have in store for the people's format? This is Season 17 of Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show! Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan, and I'm joined today by my guy from Buenos Aires. You know him as Moored to Light. It's Emmy Sagasti. Emmy, welcome. Hey, yo. How is it doing, our amazing CEO back in the United States? Doing great. The house is finally starting to feel a little bit like a home, so I'm excited to just relax. Getting everything in its place. Yep. What could go wrong? No Phyrexians in sight, no invasions, no oil. No battles? <laughs> no battles. So with this beautiful day, Saturday the 21th, we are releasing the beginning of Season 17. As Phyrexia is getting everywhere, everything is being consumed, and there's no better moment than to start with the spoilers. Exactly. So it's finally time to do the official previews. We've been getting a deluge of unofficial previews over the past few weeks, but it's finally time. And in fact, we've gotten so many cards, we decided to organize this set review a little bit differently. You know, in the past, we usually just go in mana cost order, and for as long as it takes, we go through all the cards that are playable in Modern or Pioneer, or that might be playable, or that we hope will be playable. Mostly hope. Mostly hope. It's a lot of hope. <laughs> There's a lot of faith in this. For this set, we're mixing it up. We are actually going to put our foot down and say, nope, only the good cards, and in fact, we're going to divide them up between Modern and Pioneer. We have Mord, our Modern expert. Heyo. Who's going to sort it all out for us. Just Modern today. Next episode, David, our Pioneer Brewmaster, will be telling us about the Pioneer cards. Yeah, it will be two episodes, nothing particularly long until at least I get you the card I want to talk about the most, which we all know when I get you that single card I want the most, I just get super excited. And that makes Dan tremble with fear as he has no idea how long it can last. Exactly. So the set overall is interesting because it's set on Phyrexia, a famously broken plane or broken world. And yet, as you go through the cards here, this does not feel like a constructed set to me. Like, you can tell they put a lot of care into some mechanics yeah. that only really make sense in Limited. Like counting how many toxic poison counters you have. Or do you have three? Because if you have three, you're going to take a little more damage. And I just don't see any of that being relevant for Constructed. I think they were super safe with this. They wanted to be super safe. We have a lot of cards that care about slowly proliferating poison counters. I think they wanted for... And they didn't want Infect to be even close to an archetype. Right? Infect has been replaced by Toxic, an ability that 
only gives you a fixed number of poison counters. And these toxic creatures have like pretty beefy power and toughness stats. So it seems like they envision a mix of like regular damage and poison damage. So that's why I'm calling that a limited mechanic. Yeah, most if you look at most how most games are gonna play, you're gonna win either via combat damage or via proliferating your opponent poisons counters. Or just putting into the putting then the poison counters via ways that are not particularly common, like just a Chumara instant that literally reads, draw a card, every single opponent gets a poison counter. It feels as if they want games regarding poison to feel like a long overrun inevitability that you just cannot run from, which is super on flavor with the new Phyrexia. Definitely a flavor win, very flavorful return to Phyrexia. Along similar lines, they finally introduced oil as a, a major mechanic. Oil counters can accumulate on different cards. But again, looking at the specific cards, it feels like more of a limited mechanic. Like... Yeah, They want you to carefully manage how many oil counters each card has, and each one can use the oil in a slightly different way. Some cards do a nice job of accumulating oil, but there isn't really like a big oil payoff, right? Like Even if I can generate a bunch of oil counters... There's not that many payoffs. Yeah, only one or two cards even allow you to pull oil counters off other permanents, and they're not super exciting, although we can talk about them when we get to them. Yeah, so we're going to go straight into Modern. The flavor of the set, as we said, amazing. And we're going to start with a land because we always grow from lower CMC to higher CMC. Of course, we're not going to mention the fast lands because they're already legal in Modern, but they're likely the most powerful cards in this set by a mile. Mm, yes. We're not going to go too deep into that. You're going to hear David super excited about this in less than a week. Trust me, he's going to be all over it. But I only care about the green-white one so I can keep playing turn one elf more consistently. So for modern, only one of these lands has caught Mord's attention, and it is the Mycosynth Gardens. A land that has the subtype Sphere. Sphere? It's an untapped land that taps for a colorless. It also can produce one mana of any color if you pay one generic so it filters for any color. But its third ability is pay X and tap the Mycosynth Garden becomes a copy of target non-token artifact you control with mana value X. So, where do we want a land that you can tutor for and it can transform itself into an artifact? The answer is, at least for a lot of Amulet Titan experts, Amulet Titan. They have been talking about how this increases the consistency of turn 3 kills with Ursa Saga incredibly. A hand with Mikosith Garden and Ursa Saga allows you to have double amulet by turn 3 without even drawing a single one. So Urza's Saga in an amulet deck, this is one of the only decks that just slams a Saga on turn 1. Yeah. Because it sets up the turn 3 kill, right? With one amulet, you can get insurmountable advantage. With two amulets, you can usually engineer lethal damage. But, I mean, that deck is full of useful lands. Are you saying that Microsoft Gardens is actually good enough that it will take the slot of other lands? So I have seen a lot of opinions on both sides. Some saying this card is insane, you're gonna play four. Some more conservative saying this is a two or three of super interesting in a current build, as it will not only allow you to go for like a double amulet on turn three, but also copy stuff like liquid metal coding to double stone on your opponent, or in the long game, more powerful cards. Maybe copy a rage when you need it or such. You said that this was a land you can tutor for, but would you actually tutor for this? I mean, I feel like at the point you're tutoring for lands, you've already got everything set up. In a current version, you might, 
just to get a double and an artifact, be it Trinity Sphere you want to protect, be it um, a Staring Rage or something. Like in the current version, you want a tutor for it in a, like a full all-in version. I have seen a version dumping Triads back for Azusa's just because they want to play four of this land and have turned three, um, turn three double amulets super consistently. Okay, so Microsynth Gardens, a strong possibility for Amulet Titan. I will note that this is also just a sweet brewing card. I haven't thought about it in great detail yet, but if there's another crappier artifact that you really like and your deck can tolerate colorless lands, uh, this is a low-cost way to get many copies of said terrible artifact, uh, whether that is a Lotus Bloom <laughs> or whether that is an Ultra of the Brood or who knows. Cannot copy tokens, but it can copy anything else. I mean, yeah, you can make some weird stuff. I, I also remember some legacy shenanigans with Lion's Eye Diamond because Lead doesn't need to tap down to activate. Oh, okay. Oh, so you can tap it, copy the yeah. Lion's Eye Diamond, and immediately use it. Yeah, you transform this into a three-mana sacrifice land. Oh, boy. Okay, but the Lotus Blossom does require... Not Lotus Blossom, Lotus Bloom. Yeah. Lotus Bloom does require tapping. Lotus Bloom does require... So yeah, interesting land. Maybe we'll find some brewing home for it, but mostly an Amulet Titan experimentation card. Next up, Venerated Rot Priest. Single green creature, Phyrexian Druid. It has Toxic 1. Toxic means that players dealt combat damage by this creature also get one poison counter because it's Toxic 1. Whenever a creature you control becomes the target of a spell... Target opponent gets a poison counter. Okay, so that is extremely interesting text, Morg. Yeah, so this card has gotten a lot of ruin on it. Since, the, since, since I was going to say spoiled, but not even that. Since it was leaked, this card has seen everybody. <laughs> so what's so powerful about this? Well, the first part is, without doing nothing weird with the card, this is an insanely powerful infect card. Because if you go turn one, any infect one drop like Glacier Elf, like turn one Hierarch, turn two Glacier Elf, and you go turn three this plus double pump spell. Even if your opponent can kill your Glacier Elf, they already got three poison counters on them, right? Yes. You got your two pump spells plus a removal spell. So this on its own, without combat, guarantees that. All you have to do is cast the spell targeting any of your creatures. Doesn't have to target the Rob Priest, can target the Elf can target the Inkmoth Nexus, whatever you want. And this even counts your opponent's spells if they try to target your Glistener yeah. Elf while a Rob Priest is in play, they're still getting a poison counter. And let's not talk about how insane it is if your opponent goes for like a, a spell and you go for like any of the Hexproof ones, right? Your opponent literally helping you storm them out. Okay, so it does all that if you have something else going on, but let's think about a lower resource scenario. Does this do enough by itself? Like, would it actually make cut in effect. Yeah, I think it makes a cut in infect, but most importantly, I think this will make its own deck that's going to see more play than infect. And I think a big part of that is the fact this card is green. Go on. I remember the first shell I see so for this deck was a legacy deck. For Summer's Pack, every single free spell you can imagine that targets alongside Ground Drift and Shenanigans. And the deck would just go... Summer's pack for Venerator Rod, like turn two, Mana Morphos, Ritual, sorry, Ritual, Mana Morphos, have three green mana, um, Summer's pack, Summer's pack, go Double Rod Priest, and just target them with stuff. All right, so the, the way that this works is 
venerated rob priest triggers every time it becomes a target of a spell and a card like ground rift which doesn't really do anything but it has storm and it only costs one mana so that generates a storm count all the copies target rob priest or something else each time that happens each storm copy gives a poison counter so if you go something like rod priest summer's pack second rod priest that's storm three Gatshot, that's two poison counters to your opponent, and Storm 4. Ground Rift, that's 12 counters, or opponent is dead. So how many mana did we spend in that scenario? Three. So we, we didn't pay anything for the Summoner's Pact. We just cast one Rod Priest. Wait, wait. Rod Priest, Pact, Rod Priest, any free spell, Ground Rift. Oh my god. And opponent is dead. That's insane. So with Summoner's Pact... <laughs> what? The power in Summer's Pack, the, the power in this being green, is you can Summer's Pack for it, which means you're running eight copies that cost one mana in your combo turns, which means it's super consistently of getting two on board. However, there's even major upside because we have a rule of 12, because a spell guide is also a copy of this. If I play a spell guide, if I go turn three, instead of turn three, let's say I either have a desperate ritual or it's turn four, and I go Summer's Pack, Venerated Road Priest, spell guide, any free spell run grift, um, I target every single spell at the Venerate Rod Priest, and then I redirect all the targets from the Storm to the Spell Skite. So wait, 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 wait. You're saying that Spell Skite's ability, which redirects a, sp- a spell to the Spell Skite, that counts as a creature yes. you control becoming the target of a spell? Becoming a target. The first time you do, yes. You cannot keep redirecting something that already targets Spell Skite to Spell Skite. But if it's not targeting Spellskite and it now targets Spellskite, Spellskite became a target. Oh, okay. And if you had two Spellskites, they could bounce it back and forth between yes. them until you ran out of life. Exactly. But for example, if you have a Storm 4 Ground Rift, all targeting Rod Priest, and then you redirect all four to Spellskite, your opponent just got eight infect on them. And literally, you're one gadget away from dying because you can just gadget and redirect goes without saying, Spellskite is quite useful in a deck that's trying to protect a key Your card like this, so it's not a bad card to put in the deck. Exactly. Yeah, you've sold me. This sounds like it's going to be a deck, potentially a super powerful deck. I mean, the, the sequence you mentioned for the turn... Three kill. The biggest problem with this deck is how weak your spot removal the moment Storm goes to, into the stack. The fact Storm is a trigger ability means your opponent can let you do your shenanigans and when Storm trigger hits the stack, kill your creature, and you're out. Oh. Okay, if you only have the one Rot Priest. Even if you have two. Oh yeah, but they would have to remove both, or maybe your Storm is too small if you lose one. Okay, and then you might die to the Summoner's Pact. Exactly. Okay, but if you suspect that, you don't have to split the Summoner's Pact. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, I'm not saying it's a bad deck. I'm saying I don't think it's going to be insane. I do think it's a super interesting concept. It seems like it's not implausible even to, like, do a hybrid version where you have, like, a infect backup with, say, a mutagenic growth on an Inkmoth Nexus or something as, as in part of that Storm deck. So S- Sam Black proposed a prowess backup instead of an, a toxic, uh, instead of an infect backup, like, you just playing the mouse. Oh, and make us elemental? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because with all these ground and stuff, you also get a 10-10. I like it. I mean, this seems like one of the best cards in the set. Oh, yeah, it is. And I think it's super interesting. At least for brewing, and it's likely going to brew a new archetype, which is something, it's always something I really like. Yeah, for sure. 
From there, we keep going down and we reach the colorless one mana artifacts, and we have a new cycle of spell bombs called Skull Bombs. <laughs> skull Bombs. <laughs> so, Skull Bombs are one ma- Bomba Cranio, la concha de su hermana. That's such a bad name. <laughs> Bomba Cranio. Bomba Cranio. Um, so, well, these are one mana artifacts that have pay one mana, sacrifice them, draw a card. But they also have. 3 mana, sacrifice them, and a special ability for 3 mana, and draw a card. For example, the blue one bounces a creature to its owner's hand and draw a card, and they only activate as a sorcery. The white one gives plus 2, plus 2, and flying and draws a card, the green one gives plus 3, plus 3, and trample, and the black one, which is I think the most important one, returns a creature from your graveyard to your hand and draws a card. So we're talking like a really solid 2 for 1 you can go get with the Rusa Saga. Right. In modern, these are always worth asking at least, does this fit into a Saga package? And I think in most cases, the answer is no. They're, they're a little bit too slow. They're like heavy spell bombs. It's nice that they each draw a card, but like the blue one, I think I would always just choose the efficiency of either spell bomb. Oh, yeah. The black one being a nice 2 for 1... I mean, that's a slow two-for-one. It's a draw a card and get a creature back. But yeah, that is nice and clean. I guess, is that better than Mishra's research desk? I guess it's in different colors. Yeah. I was curious if you thought the white one just has a burst of damage. Plus two, plus two, and flying. Maybe I'm missing something and Hammer can play that to give flyer to some to give flying to something. But cheap three mm. mana is a lot. It is a lot. Like, they would just play an, an artifact that... You would just play an artifact, that uh, an equipment that gives flying in most scenarios. True. All right, well, keep an eye on those. Keep them in the back of your mind. And from the Skull Bombs, we continue on down now to Gleeful Demolition. Oh, Gleeful yeah. Demolition. <laughs> Gleeful Demolition, a straight callback, and a straight uh, almost upgrade on a beautiful card, um, Kuldrotha Rebirth. One red mana, sorcery, destroy target artifact. If you control that artifact, create three 1-1 one, one red Phyrexian Goblin tokens. So, Kudota Rebirth is one red mana, sacrifice an artifact, make three 1-1s. One, this is destroy, and if you control it, make it. What are the differences? Biggest upside is if you target something indestructible, you keep it. Another upside is that if you target your opponent's artifact, it's just a clean one mana shatter, which is nuts. Yeah. The downside is you can get blown out by March of Otherworldly Lights. Okay, so they can fizzle your demolition by removing the target, whereas without the rebirth, it's an additional cost to cast, so it doesn't actually target anything, it's just making tokens. Yeah, exactly. However, I think this is a straight upgrade of Gul'dothar Rebirth, and in worst case scenario in modern, it's a rule of fate on Gul'dothar Rebirth, which is something that tech really needed, because you played a lot of stuff like Ecor Wellspring and Chromatic Star and such, and you didn't have any upside for that, if you just didn't draw your Rebirth. Having eight... Yeah, I mean, this is... I think it's great, right? Like, it gives you that rule of eight, so now you can just go nuts with that. I think in an effect... For a deck like that, I wouldn't really care if they're going to try to do Leyline Binding no, as a response. They'll 100%. just get you, it's fine. <laughs> just... No, and the fact you can target artifact, um, indestructible artifact lands like um, Citadel means in most cases there's no downside. Like you're still just keeping your land when you wouldn't have the other. And the fact that this destroys opponent's artifacts, I mean, that's not why you play it, but I think that's huge. I mean, a deck like, like this, that's kind of one track, needs some optionality built in, and this is a great way to do that. It's a wonderful card. 
Yeah, but I can really see myself like playing an aggro deck and all of a sudden my play my opponent plays like a snaring bridge so they have to remove and I'm like, okay, shatter for one mana. Yeah, or they go all in on a construct plus a shadow spear and it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> that was Boop. a good try, but Yeah, good try, but shatter. Excited for this one. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. Nothing insane. Like it's not one of those gonna blow the format open, but it's just something it's nice to have in the back of your mind. It's gonna take a, a tier three strategy and make it a lot better. Yeah. That's unless there's a misstep along the way. Maybe a minor one. <laughs> minor misstep. Single blue instant. Counter target spell with mana value one or less. So a little bit of a callback to mental misstep. I don't like this card, but we should at least ask. So a lot of people compare this card to spell builds, which I think it's a mistake. This isn't spell builds, this is spell snare. While Spell Slayer is amazing on the draw, this is amazing on the play. How do you figure? Any control deck or any counterspell-based strategy always struggles with the fact they need to keep a hand with both removal and a counterspell even of the play, right? You cannot keep counter-counter-counter-counter because a one-mana play can just sneak under you and win the game. A hand that keeps minor misstep counterspell Argus Charm is a lot better than any other hand could be. Well, it doesn't help you if you're on the draw, though. That's the question. Yeah, yeah. Well, Spell Slayer doesn't help you while you're on the play, mostly. That's the, th that's the scenario. So I think this is mostly a card that it's just for that. So the targets, I mean, we're basically looking at the Cascade spells. Ragavan, Thoughtseize, Unholy Heat. It will have targets. Hmm. So you think a main deck or sideboard? I guess that's my question. I don't think this is a sideboard card, so I don't think you would play the sideboard. Oh, not a sideboard card. Okay, so it's not like a more reliable Flusterstorm. Yeah. No, no, I don't think this is a Flusterstorm. I think this might be a one of or two of main deck card, and I think decks like Multi will try it. Interesting. Okay, so that's not what I thought for this card, but maybe it's more got more applications than I would expect. Yeah, I think it's like a spell slayer scenario where you should have one, one or two in the main deck and see if it lines up correctly. Which you will in a lot of scenarios. Alright, from minor misstep, we proceed on to the two mana cards. This next one here, I was a bit surprised to see you suggest this for a format as powerful as modern, but we're going to talk about experimental augury. I'm not sure if this will see modern play, I just want to talk about how insanely unright this card is. Experimental Augury is a two-man anticipate that then proliferates, like exactly that. Nothing else. And you think that's insanely on rates? Yeah, the closest thing we have ever gotten to this is a two-mana sorcery draw a card proliferate. This is worth like, what, 70%, 0 0.5 more mana than that, 0 0.6? Like, that's a lot more usage out of your mana. I agree it's better, but I, I do think that in order for this to actually enable the proliferate stuff it would have to cost one mana like yeah one mana maybe top two cards or something proliferate i just think that if we ever find a home that wants to proliferate stuff this is one of the best ways there's gonna be to do it like ever i don't know i mean i feel like in modern if i'm gonna proliferate a bunch of times it needs to cost zero mana it, like throne yeah. of geth basically it can't cost two mana yeah, I just think it's worth looking like whenever you're looking to proliferate, this is a card you got you ought to consider you ought to consider. 
that's what's in my mind. True, for sure. And I know that this is a card that David definitely has his eye on for Pioneer as well. As far yeah. as proliferate goes, this is one of the better ways to do it. I'm just like a little cautious for and two meta anticipates. It's been burned many times by the <laughs> Yeah. You're just gonna all of a sudden lose the game. Alright, next up. Then we go to a cycle of two mana creatures. We start with Canker Bloom, which we're not going to talk much. It's a 2-mana 3-2 Furex and Fungus. You can pay 1-mana, sacrifice it to destroy target artifact, destroy target enchantment, or proliferate. This is a card that battles both against Hewer Might and Outlaw Liberator. Outlaw Liberator. And I'm not sure if it's better than either of those. It's definitely one of the bigger cards we've seen. It's 3 power right away, so yeah. it's more damage than an Outlaw Liberator. More damage even than a Kasali Prime Mage. And it has that proliferate option, so you can grow your Strangle Root Geists, you can grow your Young Wolves, etc. Hmm. And yeah, it's an interesting card. Like, I'm not going to say it's bad. I just don't think it's going to be worth its metal when facing the strongest actual versions. From there, we go to Dran- what if Dranith Magistrate was colorless? And had a really big butt. And had a big butt. It would be a soulless jailer that's two mana for an artifact creature Phyrexian Golem. Two lines of text. Permanent cards in graveyards can't enter the battlefield, and players can't cast non-creature spells from graveyard or exile. So that second clause is a one that very closely mirrors the Dranith Magistrate. Right? Dranith Magistrate says you can't cast spells from anywhere other than your hand. And this is basically the same thing. Yeah, but while also stopping stuff like Perseus, so it stops Cascade, Reanimation Spells, Emery. However, it doesn't stop minor shenanigans like Escape Box of Agonas from the graveyard. Yeah, you're allowed to cast creature spells from graveyards. That's fair, I think. I think you should be allowed to cast creatures from graveyards. There's not much difference. As a Gravecaller player, I approve this. Yeah, you can cast them. You can cast them, but they can't enter. Like, it's gonna stop, like... um, What's the name of the vampire, the two-mana one? Bloodgast. It's gonna stop Bloodgast. It's just not gonna stop Oaks. So it's like... It's gonna work against most stuff. Right, so that first clause, permanent cards in graveyard can't enter the battlefield, that does not apply to an ox because the ox goes from the graveyard to the stack, right? So that's safe. Yeah, and from the stack to the battlefield. Same with Gravecrawler. It will take the safe route through the stack and then will attack the Jailer for no effect. Exactly. And from there we go to a card I think I like, that doesn't seem to like, and that's Mercurial Spell Dancer. Yeah, I'll read this one because it's completely unplayable. <laughs> and then you can tell me why you think it's playable. <laughs> two mana. So one and a blue creature, Phyrexian Rogue. Two one, and it cannot be blocked. So we're looking at a nice limited rare here. Two one for two that can't be blocked. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put an oil counter on Mercurial Spell Dancer. Whenever Mercurial Spell Dancer deals combat damage to a player, you may remove two oil counters... From it, if you do, when you cast your next instant and sorcery spell this turn, copy that spell and choose new targets if you like. So, this becomes, and this makes it so the third spell you cast, like every third spell you cast gets doubled, right? As long as this survives? Well, we're so far into the hypotheticals here. I mean, you're talking about if your 2-1 for 2 survives for multiple turns? One turn, if you're casting one, one mana spells. You need to get two oil counters, though. 
Okay, so you're saying I cast spell spell and my third spell is... I just, or maybe I just go like Mercurial Spell Dancer, Mistrust Bubble, go to my, and in my next turn, Bolt Expressive Iteration. And I get a two, and I get two Expressive Iterations. Or Expressive Iteration Bolt, and I get two bolts out of my two mana two one that's still alive, and it's just gonna do the same thing next turn again. And that's talking in scenarios in the early game where I don't have stuff like maybe in Pioneer Treasure Cruise to double spell. Because I play this turn two, I turn three, play a removal spell and an opt, and turn four, I went Treasure Cruise double it. Okay, so this is a, a fun card for standard, a dreamer's card for Pioneer. I think in modern, you're crazy to consider this in modern. <laughs> you, can't, you can't play a 2-1 in modern for two mana. But I, I admire the, that dream scenario, doubling a Treasure Cruise. That would be sweet in Pioneer. I think this has, at least in my mind, um, Dreadhot Arcanist pipes. Exactly. It, not playable. <laughs> not playable in modern, but banned in Legacy. And pretty decent in Pioneer. Yeah, because Red and Six is banned in Legacy, so it's safe. Legacy yeah. is a safe place for this. <laughs> Legacy is a safe place for a 2 mana 2 one that's unblocked. Also, the fact that it cannot be blocked in an initiative format cannot be understated. <laughs> Gosh. But... <laughs> All right, so definitely, yeah, got some potential in these other formats that are not not modern. Yeah, I think it's a card you have in your mind. I think in my, I think it will see play in Pioneer at first. It, you will see it in Pioneer for a few leagues. I'm not sure if it's gonna stick. You're gonna see it in Legacy. I think it's a, it's one of those cards that's good to have in your mind. You know, I don't think it's a bad card. I think it really doesn't line up well with modern. I think it's bad. So. All right, agree to disagree. And from there, we go to a card where I will not allow anyone to disagree with me because this is my fuckfest card. Tyvar, Shubeland Brawler. Worth noting, Tyvar went from a really annoying character to a character everyone has felt in love with in the new lore, in the five stories for this set. Tyvar is amazing. Oh, is that right? I haven't caught up on the story yet. Yeah, the flavor in this card makes no sense relating to what Tyvar does in the story. Like, Tyvar is a... So, uh, I'm trying to remember a movie. So, have you ever seen Ben 10? No, never heard of it. Okay, the cartoon show. Tyvar has the same power of one of the characters there, where he can touch a material and absorb it, and, like, gets coated in that material. That's Tyvar's ability as a planeswalker. Oh, nice. And he's able to coat other people with it as well. That's how he kills Tybalt. Okay. He just leaves it breathless and covered in metal without any abilities. But yeah, Tyvar, Shubla Brawler, one green and a black for a three mana Planeswalker that only enters with three loyalty counters. However, and more importantly, however, it has an insanely powerful passive ability. You may activate abilities of creatures you control as those those creatures had haste. Additionally, the plus one untaps a creature, and the minus two mills three and reanimates a creature with mana value two or less. They play patterns right on their own. I mean, first of all, at three mana planeswalker, quite dangerous. I would expect it to have like one attractive ability. Tyvar has three attractive abilities, and one of them is just always on. Yeah. But it's a very niche effect, right? One that we haven't really seen promoted before. I'm thinking of like Thousand Year Elixir or something. <laughs> that it's on a, a thousand year, yeah. I mean, a passive ability of a walker is insane. Especially a planeswalker that can defend itself so well with the minus two. All right, so walk me through, like, what should I be thinking about with Tyvar? So there's... Everybody at first thought Elves, and I don't think this is a great Elves card, because just playing your Elves faster by turn three 
isn't what makes elves cool. You should be playing all your elves by turn 3 regardless. Hasty or not, this might be different if you have the two mana lore that allows you to cast an extra, like, that allows you to draw cards. Because with that you might just go infinite. I can see a world where Tyvar plus the new elf lore just goes infinite. Uh, sorry, which elf lord are we talking about? The two mana 1-1 one, one from Dominaria that you pay a green whenever you cast a green spell and draw a card. Oh, right, right, okay. So Tyvar plus the three mana 2-2 two, two lord plus Archdruid and that and the elf that makes that you get to draw whenever you play an elf and something like Realm Walker might just go infinite. Each elf, in theory, taps to generate mana to pay for the draw. Effect. For the new elves, and then you might draw a new T-Bar, you play the new T-Bar, you untap the Arshruid, you get 10 more mana, and you keep going. That's an interesting shell, but I don't think this will see play in regular elves, rather in a new elves, if it exists. But the implications are simpler sometimes, and there's a two-mana creature that just loves being hasty on turn two, and just loves being reanimated. So, imagine this beautiful world where you go, turn one Bial, turn two do nothing, why do something? And when your opponent on turn three, just, your opponent goes on his turn two, you play nothing, they play a laser shredder, and you go, okay. Tap Bial on turn three, tap Bial on two, devoted druid, make two green mana, sorry, play Tivar, make two green mana, sacrifice by devoted druid, minus two with Tivar, make two red mana, final for a Vizier of Remedies, win on the spot. But how did you get the right color of mana. Final of Devastation. You have a lot of ways to tutor for that Vizier without dealing white. So you're saying cast Tyvar, violin the Devoted Druid. Mm -hmm. It has haste, so you can immediately make two mana. You have two mana floating. Yeah. Devoted Druid in the graveyard now. Tyvar minus two, bring it back. Now I need to get up to four mana for the Vizier. And you have two more mana with a Devoted. But then I lose my Devoted. No. It's just top. Oh, I see. Okay, so actually I have extra mana. That's right, so I can actually kill the Devoted Druid immediately. Okay, I see what you're saying. And besides that, you could just also play Tyvar on turn 3. You can just go turn 2 Vizier, it dies, and you go turn 3 Tyvar, Devoted, and reanimate your Vizier. Alongside any of the other shenanigans. Also amazing with a card like Conspicuous Snoop, turn to Snoop, it dies, turn 3 T-Bar, get it back, and if your opponent isn't able to deal with it, you can just win on the same turn. Like, this is a card not worth ignoring, and I think it has amazing also, like, value with cards like Finn Artisan. Yeah, I mean... Finn Artisan, I think, has found its best possible shell if this is a decent deck. Even something like Stoneforge Mystic, if you're just a dinosaur and the only deck you can think of is Abzan value right this is sort of useful in that scenario i mean the, the minus two just getting back a cmc two or less creature from the graveyard is pretty good and then you can just go nuts with the static and the plus one maybe necrotic ooze is the deck you want to play like you're devoted to it you want to play necrotic ooze but yeah tyvar super interesting card you're gonna see it in a bunch of shells at least for me like i have been talking with hannah a player in twitter also about a reclaimer or Priest of Forgotten Go um, Fin Priest Reclaimer Tyvar build, like a lot of tap to do stuff. There's a lot of cards that just gets a lot better if you don't have to wait for it. Especially if you can reanimate it and go for it. Yeah, I just want to give a tip of the cap to whoever designed this card. I mean it's a sweet new space. Yeah. Fun to explore and priced to move, right? That's the important thing. They gave it to us at a generous rate. 
So I would like to see maybe a little more loyalty, but we can't have everything. So we'll make do. Exactly. And from there, we go down to our four drops, where we will find another planeswalker, a lot less interesting. I love Tibar. You're going to hear me talk about Tibar. I'm sorry to tell you, viewers, the moment Tibar gets released, I'm going to talk on it on every weekly episode. You're going to hear me talk <laughs> about Tibar twice weekly, with, with different shells until I find something that allows me to 5-0 or at least 4-1 consistently. I lost a 5-0 with Storm Gobos yesterday. It was so tilting. I was doing so well, and I just... <laughs> failed like on a, I had the game won and I just exiled like seven lands in a row and I lost. It was so sad. Sad Cobos. But yeah, then we go to a four mana planeswalker. A lot worse, but an interesting one. What do you think than of Chase the Perfect Mine? Well, I think Jace is an honorary three drop. It's an honorary three drop. Yeah, and I think it's actually really good. So Jace the Perfected Mind, two blue blue, but the second blue is Phyrexian mana. So you can, if you want, pay Jace for just two blue and two life. This is the completed mechanic. The Phyrexian mana can be paid with a blue or two life, and if you choose to pay the life, your Jace comes in with two fewer loyalty counters. Legendary Planeswalker Jace starts at five loyalty, so you're either getting a five loyalty Jace for four mana or a three loyalty Jace for three mana. It has a plus one, a minus two, and a minus X Plus one, until your next turn, up to one target creature gets minus three, minus O. Minus two, target player mills three cards. Then, if any graveyard has 20 or more cards in it, you draw three cards. Otherwise, you draw one card, so similar to Visions of Beyond. And the minus X is target player mills three times X cards. So that's where that uh, completed ability really comes into play. If you're playing Jace on three mana, comes in with three loyalty, you have the option to immediately minus X yeah. for three times three cards. And if you're playing Jace on four mana, you can minus X for five times three cards. So it's a mil nine or a mil 15. Hmm. I do think that the biggest play pattern with this card is going to be four mana, mil 12, and keep a planeswalker on one. Yeah, I mean, to me, the mil 9 or mil 15 are already pretty attractive, and the fact that you get so much optionality, yeah. right, like that that other line you mentioned of play for 4, mil 12, keep a Planeswalker. That's you not irrelevant. Three, mil, mil 6, keep a Planeswalker. And keep a Planeswalker going, that's gonna slow a creature down when you're about to go turn 3 Graveyard Trespasser, sorry, not Graveyard Trespasser because you cannot target that efficiently. But your opponent plays any 3-drop, you can just slip it, make it plus, plus, minus 3 minus so, make it so he can't pressure it. And then, worst case scenario, you get a minus two, draw three, because you have already milled them for 12 or six, plus whatever you're doing. You, have, you should have 20 cards in a graveyard by now. Yeah, the minus two always draws one card, sometimes draws three cards. Yes. Visions of Beyond is not a card that you really think about when you're playing against mill, but it is one of the more devastating yeah. cards for them to resolve. They, they tend to be like a low-resource type of deck. And the minus two drawing a card and miling three isn't something to ignore. Like four mana, play this, draw a card, mill you for three, next one mill you for three, and draw three or, or and draw one or three isn't a bad play pattern either. So I like Jace a lot. Now I know that modern mill has been getting an infusion of cards. I don't know like what Tibalt of Red Sub will say about this in modern, hmm. but it is the kind of card that okay, you should definitely try it in modern mill. You should even consider does this open up mill in Pioneer? That's another question that I think the answer might be yes. I think Jace is super powerful. I do think as well. Sadly, it's just a mill card. Like, I don't love archetype-specific cards, 
Body mm-hmm. Tech Guard. It's good for Planeswalkers to be narrow. I think that we've kind of come around on that, right? This is the proper way to do Planeswalkers, just make them for one deck. Yeah. But interesting card, and it's going to see play. We're going to see more of it. Yeah, for me, this is high on my list of cards that seem likely to be showing up in the 5-0s. Whether it's like a 4-of or whether it's just like a 1-or-2-of or in Modern Mill, I'm, I'm not hmm. sure. And we're getting close to our last five cards, which I think speaks a lot about the about how they went for a lower power level in this set, considering we're on the 40-minute mark and I'm running out of cards to drool about. <laughs> That's good, though. That's good. I mean, usually this is how it actually works out in Modern. We just... We have to dream. And speaking of dreaming, we have a dreamer's planeswalker here. <laughs> we have another honorary three drop, but I think this will more than likely get casted for generally four, and that's Nahiri the Unforgiving. Wait, you think this will get cast for four? Really? Yeah. Nahiri sacrifices herself in the lore as she gets Florexianized, but she's slowly transforming and she decides to just, before complete her transformation, throw a complete like Coliseum down on herself and the Florexians. But that doesn't win the battle, I'm guessing. It buys them time to escape. I, I hate scenes like that. I really I really hate those heroic self-sacrifice to yeah, buy yeah, time. Because like, they always, whether it's a TV show or a movie, they spend so long showing everyone's like reactions. No, no, this and, was like, super... The rest this of the was... crew is like, no, don't do it. And like they're looking and crying. And it takes like 15 seconds for them to, to watch the person self-sacrifice to like buy 18 seconds. No, this was fast, and not only that, there was actually a pretty interesting line, like, going forward, where Tyvar and Ka- and the ninja, who I can't remember, who are, like, super weak planeswalkers. We don't really look at this without the lore, but most planeswalkers are a lot weaker than the original ones. Sure. And Nahiri is so much more powerful than them, that they are go, I'm sorry, but I hope she's dead. Like, while they're walking, they're literally talking about how they hope this killed her. Because they don't stand a chance against a Firaxonized Nahiri. Hmm. Who, of course, survives. <laughs> well, okay, so that's a slightly different thing, but yeah. Four mana Planeswalker completed, which means she has a Firaxian bonus mana, so you can either pay that with red, white, or two life. If you pay two life, this enters us with three loyalty. If not, she enters us with five. Plus one, until your next turn, up to one target creature attacks a player each combat if fable, attacking a player means they cannot attack her, so the plus one is defending herself. That's worth noting. She has a second plus one, which is a rubber, uh What's the name of that mechanic? Rummaging, I think. It's not looting. Rummaging, that's it. I was saying rummaging. Rummaging, a kind of rummaging. <laughs> you discard a card and then draw a card, and finally a zero ability that in most weak planeswalkers would be designed as a minus X, which is Exile Target Creature Equipment card with mana value less than Nahir's loyalty from your graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of it, exile it at the beginning of the next 10 step. Yeah, so can we just stop and appreciate how sweet that design is? Like, it is the ultimate effect, right? Yeah, that, that templating yeah, that, that, that templating is amazing. The fact they didn't go for a minus X makes me super happy. This card would be completely unplayable with a minus six, and I'm sure that's what would have happened with a lot of previous cards. This, however, is four mana. Every single turn, get back a season pyromancer, a ranger captain of Fios, or if you manage to plus ones, you just get back a solitude or a fury. 
like the first two abilities are both pluses so it's like okay we must be built into a sweet minus and it's like well yeah. kind of but actually it's a zero there is no minus so she's just accumulating loyalty but i think more likely you're just going to go for zeros as often as you can i think you might plus one like once tops just to get her to the good point in modern but yeah then it's all zeros from there so what surprised me is that you said you envisioned her being played for four mana most of the time. Because I thought that what you want to do is get Nahiri down as quickly as possible and just start firing off zeros and actually build your deck around primarily one, two, and three mana creatures. Two drops. Not three, two. It's lower than her loyalty. Uh, low, lower than. Okay, so I actually do need to get her to four loyalty. Exactly, and that's a big issue because... If this had been equal to it, this would have been insane. Just imagine going turn four, pitch solitude, so, um, solitude minus um, O solitude again. That's a full board clear consistently without ever even losing a loyalty point on this. So the creature that you resurrect from the graveyard is actually exiled, right? You're just getting a token copy. Yeah. And that sacrifices on Enstep as perusal. So cards you can think of like... Um... Ranger Captain of EO's Season Pyromancer. You can get those back once, and it's good. This is a good thing to do, but you you will need to like continue to find fuel for the zero. Yeah, there's also the minor cards you can get, like Stoneforge Mystic, like turn two Stoneforge Mystic, turn three Stoneforge Mystic, or like turn four, turn five, play this, get back a Stoneforge Mystic and activate on the same turn two Rakaldron to play. It's not something bad, because it will enter with haste. Yeah, I think having Nahiri in play just feels super dangerous, super powerful. Yeah. Sweet card to build around. Yeah, it's not a planeswalker you can allow to survive. And both plus ones are good in different matchups. You have the defensive plus one and the looting plus one. I really like this card, and I hope it sees a lot of play because it's super well designed and really interesting. Yeah, kudos for Nahiri, kudos for Tyvar, even Jace. I think these are all sweet planeswalker designs. Yeah. The, I, did, I, I thought I would hate all the completed ones because I have been hating them so far, but Shaze and Nahiri just nailed it. I also want to add, I'm not going to go too deep on Nahiri because I think um, David is going to go super deep into it in Pioneer. Oh, also worth noting, the second plus one draws a card if you're empty-handed. Oh, it does. Okay, discard a card, then draw a card. So it, it doesn't have an if. It's not you may discard a card if you do draw a card. It's discard, draw, and that's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Three mana, draw a card, Planeswalker. Yeah, that's sweet. Uh, the first plus one, the goad ability, could in theory be card advantage as well, depending on what the board state is. I, I don't know if that would come up, but just yeah. be advised that like they, they can force you to make a bad attack into a creature. So yeah, a lot of stuff going on in Nahiri. A lot of deck building considerations you have to think about, right? Like play patterns, you have to envision yeah. like what is the target number for me? Because maybe I do want her to just come in with five loyalty most of the time. And if that's the case, do I want to build my CMC up to four, or do I want to envision myself plusing her to six so that I can start getting back those Furies and those Solitudes like Mort is talking about? Yeah. There's a lot going on here. Really sweet card. From there, we can slightly discuss a card we have already talked about, which is Elish Norn, just because we have this beautiful image with eight different arts for it. New Elish Norn has a regular art, a borderless concept creator, a borderless Icor showcase, a borderless manga, an oil slick raised foil. A Phyrexian Elish Norn, there's also been an article that 
So they actually went ahead and just made through external language, like a direct translation from letters to symbols. So now the cards are actually readable. Like now there's a consistency in the Forex and Ice language. Oh nice. And if you look at the new at the new trailer, as Electron speaks, there's a subtitle in Phyrexian on the side. Oh wow. That's pretty sweet. Which is super cute. Yeah. That was super I actually really like that. The trailer is amazing. The one minute trailer, super recommendable. Watch it. Maybe I'm just trolling over mummy, but <laughs> Mummy Norn. But that's something else. So the graphic showing all of her like showcase variants. There's actually ten different Elish Norns in this graphic. <laughs> It's yeah. just amazing. Someone, of course, made that meme where, uh, you know, Zoe Deschanel's like, yeah, name 10 cards from Phyrexio. And Andy Samberg's like, <laughs> Elish Norn. And you have the meme from... She's like, okay, that's on me. I set the bar too low. <laughs> that meme is from Brooklyn Nine-Nine with, uh, with uh, the character from New Girl appearing. Yeah. It's like a universe's meme. <laughs> So is Elis Norn modern... Mommy Norn? Mommy Norn, mother of machines. Yeah, I think mom will see modern play. Because she doesn't die to anything. Just terminate. How do you kill Elis Norn? Besides terminate. Well, you just leyline... Oh, no you don't. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Oh. Like You just solitude it. Oh. You hit... Oh. The dice removal argument kind of... Died a little bit with Shaildred, just seeing how Shaildred has done such good work in Pioneer, despite dying to removal. Elish Norn is much nastier. Yeah, and also in Pioneer as well. A 4-7 that just allows your Leyline Binding to remove two stuff while removing your opponent's Leyline Binding. In Modern, just playing this turn 5 alongside a Fury to delay damage or a Solitude to exile two creatures, and then I have a 4-7 Vigilance that just controls the board. Because nothing is bigger than a 4-7 Vigilance? It's hard to call a $70 card underrated, but I think it's possible that Elish Norn is underrated. Because that, that price tag is mainly for casual, where people are like, oh, preemptive ban and commander, etc. Yeah, it's a commander card. She could be insane and constructed. I think she's underestimated in how, yeah, I think she will see playing constructed. It's just a matter of how much. Yeah, I know David's very excited for this in Pioneer, for sure. So. Yeah. If you can afford Ellis Norn, it might be worth picking up a copy. Yeah. Down to our two last. We have a six drop dragon then. What do you tell me about the Capricious Hellraiser? Is it Capricious or Capricious? I would say Capricious Hellraiser. Capricious. Okay. Capricious Hellraiser. Yeah, a six drop dragon that can sometimes be cast for three. So this is interesting. It's three red, red, red. Phyrexian dragon. Costs three less to cast if you have nine or more cards in your graveyard. What do you get for either six or for three? Well, you get a four-four flying. When Capricious Hellraiser enters a battlefield, exile three cards at random from your graveyard. Choose a non-creature, non-land card from among them and copy it. You may cast that copy without paying its mana cost. So you get a chance to maybe get a free spell. Maybe, because it's random exile and if you don't hit any eligible yeah. cards you just don't get anything off this so i spent hours with a friend trying to figure how to break this and we just struggled to make it any somewhat decently we're brewing with ashanti the belcher player we we're trying to find ways to play this response murderous cut like mill ourselves then murderous cut in response to a trigger so this resolves and we only have like omniscience plus two in the graveyard and we can cast omniscience 
And then after three hours, we just gave up. And my friend comes back an hour later saying, more you fair fucking playing freaking idiot. <laughs> because I was just looking at ways to play this fairly. And he goes, we just dragon storm into this. And I'm like, what the hell do you mean? And he was like, if you just manage to cast a dragon storm, you get this and you just cast dragon storm again and you win. And he was right. There's a lot going on in what you just said, so let's let's slow it down slightly. So the, the fair use says, all right, I'm just going to play normal magic. I'll cast this, hopefully for just three mana, and then I'll get my trigger to exile three. And you're saying you can maybe control that trigger by responding to it by delving away some cards. That That's the, the fair slash unfair use of yeah. Capricious, Hell, Capricious Hellraiser. But you're saying that you actually don't have to have a giant graveyard. If you're cheating this into play, say with a Dragonstorm, it doesn't matter whether you have nine cards in the graveyard or just one card in the graveyard. Capricious Hellraiser is going to trigger either way when it enters the battlefield. So if you Dragonstorm for this, you have yeah. a chance of exiling that Dragonstorm. Well, actually, you don't. You don't exile the Dragonstorm. Yeah. Because the Dragonstorm will still be on the stack. No. It gets resolved. Has it? Okay, okay the last one gets yeah. the Capricious Hellraiser. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The copies can get something else. I see. The others, if you want to guarantee your Dragon Storm, you just get two of these before the last one, and you just exile everything else in the graveyard. Just make more mana or more storms or whatever the freak you want. Like, let's say you go Fate, Fate, Ritual, Ritual, and by turn four, you have seven cards in your graveyard, three of which are Rituals, and then you cast Dragon Storm. Okay. You get three dragons, or four dragons, or whatever. You get three. The, the, the first ones are two of these, which likely cast a desperate Ritual or something. And the last one is this, which only three cards in the graveyard, one of which will be Dragonstorm. So that's definitely sweet, but two questions for you. I mean, do you actually need the Hellraiser in that scenario, or can you just win directly off oh, the Dragonstorm? Maybe you can win off the Dragonstorm, but I think that's the only scenario for this. I think it's a card, any card that can cast a non-creature cast from the card from the graveyard for free... You know, someday I'm going to wake up, someone will see something I didn't and be able to just omniscience their way into something. And the second question is, I mean, Dragonstorm, it's not being held back by Capricious Hellraiser. It's just very, very hard to get to nine mana. Yeah. It's very, very hard. Yeah. But uh, maybe it will never see play. I just hope a nice dragon does. I kind of like that fair deck, to be honest. Hmm. I like the Me fair too. Hellraiser deck. Me too, me too. I just don't think it's going to be great. Maybe not for modern. And I think this will lead us to the last card for today. A Niv reminiscing sort of card, at least in my mind. Oh yeah, this is a real, a proper Niv card. We're talking about Atraxa, the Grand Unifier. Three, a green, a white, a blue, and a black. Which is surprising, because Atraxa used to be red, but as we know, the red Firexians are now the traitors that are fighting with the Mirrans. Like, red... Like, Urabrask is the good guy. It's a good guy. Atraxa used to be red, are you sure about that? I don't think so. Maybe I'm insane. No, no, same colors. Oh, same colors, sorry. But yeah, that, she isn't red because Urabrask is the good guy. Exactly. She was never red. Right. So, the Grand Unifier, we have a 7-7, seven, seven, 4 colors, 4 abilities, Flying, Vigilance, Death Touch, Lifelink. And when she enters the battlefield, reveal the top 10 cards of your library. For each card type, you may put one card type from that type into your hand. And the card types are Artifact, Battle, Creature, Enchantment, Instant, Land, Planeswalker, Sorcery, and Tribal. I'm going to be specific with Tribal because it's not set here. 
Around Tarkir, they stopped putting tribal in type-referring cards, because it just wasn't relevant enough for new players to explain it. Tribal is included here. Has that been confirmed by an article? Yes, by Mado. Okay, so this reminder text just says, these are examples of card types. <laughs> there may be others, exactly. such as tribal. We're not going to mention them. And more importantly, this means battle is a new card type coming on next set. Oh, coming in a future set. Okay, yeah, I thought that was just like a typo at first. Like they accidentally no. called tribal battle or they renamed tribal into battle. A lot of people thought that because the original leak was in Spanish. Yeah. Exactly. Which led to a lot of people just saying, all right, battle my, my three tribal. And I was like, no, it doesn't. Tribal is tribal. So this will be a ninth card type. So superpower for your Emrakuls, for your uh, Tarmogoyfs even. <laughs> I don't know. More importantly, this is a super beautiful creature to Neoform or whatever into seven mana. It's pretty likely to draw you, what, five? Like even more consistently than Neve. Like land, instant sorcery creature plus something? So getting Atroxa into play is a big question mark. Like, Niv, we could do it because surviving until you get to five mana is was doable. Yeah, seven. I mean, what I seen a lot, Donkin has been talking about this card as a Neoform target for the fair games. And that's meaningful because it's actually pretty easy to get a, a six mana Hooting Mandrels into play yeah. and Neoform that. There just really weren't any good seven drops before. And this is insanely powerful. This is going to draw you a new Neoform, a new Mandrill, a land, and something else. And that doesn't even have to be modern. Like, if you don't believe in that for modern, just move it to Pioneer. Those are all legal. Just do it in Pioneer. Yeah, these are all legal cards. Yeah. Where we've, we've done a bunch of stuff where we lament the lack of good sevens in Pioneer. This is a great card to cheat into play. Super great card to cheat into play. Oh, yeah. And the fact we have Battle incoming is super interesting. And it's the first time I'm going to see a release of a new type, so I'm excited. Yeah, the other thing that I think we'll notice when we cheat this into play is that it's it, combat stats are freaking insane. Like, 7-7 seven, seven with yeah, all yeah. these abilities. <laughs> Flying Vigilance, Lifelink, and Death Touch. I mean, I think Death Touch can be a bit ignored, but Flying Vigilance, Lifelink on a 7-7? Seven, seven, how do you beat that in combat? But you don't beat this in combat, you just watch your hopes whittle away. Plus, they drew, like, so many new cards. <laughs> It gets a land for starters, which is super nice. I mean, you don't have to do any kind of deck building with this. You just have to figure out how do I get a Traxa into play. It's going to draw at least four cards. Yeah. Without any kind of fancy deck building. Without any deck building. You put this in the deck you want to play this, and it's just going to get you between three and six cards super consistently. So, I mean, does that mean this is powerful? Or is this just like a sweet card to maybe think about? If you had to say right now, will this actually be a deck? In modern? I think I'm, it's guaranteed to be a sweet card to be tested. I can't 100% say it's going to be powerful. But I like it. Like, how does this compare to Archon of Cruelty? I don't think it's beating Archon of Cruelty, but it might. Like, it's a better body alongside drawing more cards while doesn't pressuring your opponent. It's legendary. That's its biggest issue against Archon in, like, creativity shells. It won't kill them as fast, but it does prevent you from losing. Yeah. Because like, you just have a whole fresh hand of cards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So in a fair shell, and this might, so Gorius mentioning this might be better than Gorius mentioning Rieselbrand? <sighs> oh boy. Or super close. Oh, that's exciting, actually. Yeah. 
See, that's what I mean. There's going to be a lot of reading into this card and testing it. I'm intrigued. All right. So, good stuff for Atraxa. And that's the last card for us. Exactly at the one hour mark. Dan is happy. I'm happy. Just look at that smile. Dan looking at the smile of the one hour mark and we're finishing. I'm thrilled. We're finishing just in time to record this Pioneer episode with David. I'm psyched up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as much as we said, okay, there's not much here for modern, I think that we actually found at least two new archetypes, right? The the Rod Priest and maybe the Kodatha Rebirth one. And a few other cards that are worth testing for sure. Yeah, also we have stuff like, for Pioneer, there's a lot of stuff that just hasn't been mentioned. But... That's gonna be for you and David on the road. I just I think this is the power level a standard set should have. Where it affects modern, but from the sides, right? Like, hey, have three new cards and then it just rifts off. It doesn't stick. And the new cards for modern are not like generic good cards for the good stuff deck. They're kind of specific. Like they go into one type of archetype and you kinda have to brew around them, so I, I like that a lot. This is not for the four-color Omnath deck. Although maybe Atraxa is. No. <laughs> but it's just hmm. for, you know, like targeted decks can make something out of these. Yeah. Tivar is a new toy for a lot of decks. The Spellbomb is a new toy for some decks. Holy Shader is a sideboard card for non-white decks. I think a lot of decks just got a new toy that isn't a, a minor mistake. Might be a new toy for Murktide and Asodius. Gleeful Demolition is a new toy for Wack Lovers. Yeah, this is going to be fun. These are just, yeah, it's going to be a fun few weeks of brewing so dan thanks so much thank you all right looking forward to it hope everybody enjoy and see everybody around bye-bye that brings us to the end of our modern set review for all will be one tune in next week for our complete brewer's guide to phyrexia in pioneer support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you if you're a fan of the show, you can join our community at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Bye.